Blog Talk Radio. Again, I'm your host, Dr. Nancy, and if you'd like to call in tonight, please do so at 646-595-2118. Again, that number is 646-595-2118. We would love to hear from you. We're having an open panel, so everyone is welcome to join. So again, um, NASCAR stands for the National Association for of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse, and the mission statement is, we have a single purpose at NASCA, to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect. And we do so with only two goals. One, educating the public, especially as related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, offering hope and healing through numerous paths, providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse, and information to anyone interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, recovery. You know, here at NASCA, we're big on recovery. That is definitely uh, at our heart, at the core of our heart. Not just addressing 
uh, child abuse. I think education is, is definitely wonderful. But the healing aspect of it, you know, I think, you know, being able to come on this platform and share your story, that's a way to really heal. Some people find themselves being able to gain back a sense of, you know, uh, self-control, independence, and empowerment in the area of recovery. So this platform is really, really important for survivors of abuse, okay? Again, they find this as a place, as a safe space. We've created together a community where people could come together and talk about different modalities, different techniques that they have used throughout their recovery process. Um, especially when you're dealing with people who have dual diagnosis or dual traumas, okay? And when we talk about dual traumas, that's just anything that has to do with more than one. Some people have had a trauma as a child. Some people have had trauma as an adult. And, you know, that can really affect people. And then some people have some mental health diagnosis. Some people deal with anxiety and depression. Some people deal with bipolar, uh, you know, have had a bipolar diagnosis. Some people deal with schizophrenia. Some people deal with uh, severe anxiety or um, postpartum depression. I mean, you never really know what someone may be dealing with. But again, we open up the floor uh, to be able to have people join us to talk about recovery. Uh, and first of all, what does recovery look like? There's not really one set pathway when we talk about recovery. When we're talking about dual diagnosis, uh, you know, there are dual modalities. There's many different ways to get to that place of recovery. Not everybody's recovery is going to look the same. Recovery is not just a linear, uh, you know, you're not just going to get there one straight shot. Okay, you have to take in mind that it took a lot for you to get to the place of trauma. And so you have to have that patience, that understanding, that empathy, and really understand, okay, recovery takes time and it is okay. Now, again, NASCA, we've, we've created this platform where people can realize, number one, they have to know that this is a safe place. You're able to share as much as you're ready to share uh, and if you're not ready to share, you could just come on and listen. You could just be a part of the, the panel and just listen in and take some notes or just kind of see what you can take back for your own recovery, okay? Uh, so, again, uh, tonight's an open panel. We're just going to be going over some recovery techniques or, you know, if anyone wants to share their testimony. Um, some of the things that have helped them in their recovery or some of the things that have helped someone else. We're pretty much open for a topic on Wednesday night. Um, so it's not like it's set on stone what we have to talk about tonight. Um, but I did, me, myself, I can start a little bit on uh, crisis intervention, okay, and just I can talk a little bit about that. Um, and hopefully that will be helpful some, you know. Uh, one of the things that, you know, let's start by what is crisis intervention? 
right? Really, that's just a technique that is designed. It's a short-term technique, management technique that is designed really to reduce the potential permanent damage to an individual that's affected by a crisis, okay? A crisis is really defined as an overwhelming event, okay, which could include someone probably went through a divorce or they experienced some violence or a passing of a loved one, okay? That's very traumatic. Um, the, 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 when you discover maybe that uh, the discovery of an illness to yourself or a loved one, that, you know, you may need some crisis intervention, uh, getting a bad uh, a report that you are not prepared to hear. Okay, so a lot of the interventions that are successful really involve obtaining, you know, some background information on the person that you're supporting at the time. Um, and another thing I, was, I wanted to share, you know, you want to be careful when you're dealing with someone who may be experiencing a crisis. Okay, you know, you want to make sure that you know that they are in a crisis situation and you're in your right place, in your right mind. So you have to put that cap on your mind, on your head, that you're there to help make sure that they're safe and to help them go through their crisis. Um, they may be having an anxiety attack, a panic attack, just a psychosis moment, and if you've never experienced one, it's really hard to explain it, but you're not even in your body. It's not you. You're not dealing with that person. So you really have to be careful. You have to be careful about the tone of your voice. Um, let me see. I have one of my notes here somewhere. Uh, I know you have to be careful about the tone of your voice, um, okay? And that is really called paraverbal communication. You have to be very careful because you might your voice, the volume of your voice, okay? You want to avoid really that power struggle with the person because you're really there to help quicken the situation to a calmer state. You want to just kind of get things under control, okay? Uh, the proxematics, is it proxematics uh, approach that you want to take? Also, being really aware of the personal space. You know, when you're trying to de-escalate the situation, you have to understand that really culture may play a place in it. When you're dealing with different cultures, certain things are, are offensive and certain things are rude. And I think that a lot of times, if someone doesn't really have that cultural competence and really that knowledge and understanding, like looking at people in their eyes is rude um, in certain cultures, that's something growing up is, is, is really offensive. And so you don't do that. Some people in different cultures, they might take it as you're being rude, you can't look me in the eyes. But when you're dealing with someone who's dealing with a crisis, you want to kind of avoid the eye contact. And it's interesting because um, one of my trainings that I was doing when I was dealing, dealing with the equine, that's like, you know, for those who might not know what equine is, because at first I was like, what's equine? Well, that's the horses, okay? Um, they teach you not to look at them in their eyes. Why? Because we're predators, okay, and they're not. You know, equines are not. And so... They don't eat meat. They're not predators. But predators like tigers and lions and bears, they look at their prey, their prey animals. The horses are prey animals. They, the tigers, the lions, and the bears, they look at the, at the, whatever their prey is, 
in the eyes right before they attack. So when you go up to a horse, I know I'm off topic, but I had to, I had to bring it here for a minute. They teach you not to look at them directly in the eye, kind of look down a little bit, kind of have that kind of humble, put your head down, look away, you know, and so they teach you that. And so I'm just bringing this back into the culture of understanding personal space and not being confrontational, certain stands, don't stand with your arms crossed, don't look angry, don't stand there like you know, with your finger up, with your hand up, like, yo, 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 you know, you put your hands up, like, yo, I'm going to beat your butt. You, no, don't do that. You need to, you know, try to have just a, a softer stance, you know, open stance, hands down to the side and standing off to the side, not as you're there to confront the person, but you're really there to help to de-escalate and, um, and you're creating a safe space, Okay. I'm trying to remember how to pronounce the word kinesic. That's really the body language. That's what I was just talking about. And that's that body posture, you know, being mindful. Again, you know, not to look like you're squaring off with the person, right? Um, instead, you know, you're you're kind of giving them that, that open posture and letting, letting them know that you're there to walk them through that crisis. Again, if you have never been through a crisis or a psychosis moment, is very difficult because, um, you know, um, it's just very difficult. It's not an easy thing to explain. Um, and when we talk about crisis intervention and suicide prevention, we try to really do something that's called the upstream and upstream intervention, where we try to uh, catch it before it gets down the stream. So one of the stories that we normally share when we talk about that is. You know, uh, for example, let's say Tommy was walking down by the river and the water is just, you know, coming downstream. He sees one person, so he jumps in the water to save that person and, you know, and then he gets that person out. And then a few minutes later, he sees another person, so he jumps in and, again, um, that person's going downstream, so he jumps in and he saves that person. Um, Let me just tell this person they can call in. Um, and so, you know, one of the approaches for suicide prevention, and I'm, I'm going into bringing this with the crisis intervention because a lot of times when people are having a psychosis moment, they're outside of their body, they're not in their right mind or whatever emotion that they're personally feeling, everybody's different. Um, but if they're dealing with like the suicidal ideation or depression state or anything like that, they may really just not be in touch with kind of reality or they just in that moment and that emotion, right? And so they may contemplate or jump off the bridge, jump down the stream. And so that upstream intervention is catching it before it even gets there. And that's why we talk about crisis intervention. And that's kind of dealing with people before they get to the place of crisis, right? And how do we do that? We do that by talking, creating safe spaces. Um, that's one of the things that NASCA prides themselves on, um, and that's definitely why I'm a part of um, the organization. They definitely pride themselves on the, the fact that we can talk openly and have open dialogue in regards to um, intervention, 
and making sure that we're all on the same page. We're aware that we all come from different cultures, and and because the fact that we do come from different cultures, we carry, uh, many of us, different biases. And it's normal. It's common, okay? Even um, in all communities, in the Latino community, there are biases. In the black community, there are biases. In the white community, there are biases. There's biases everywhere. That's just what the world is. It's about. In the black community, we have, you know, Africans. We have Caribbeans. We have uh, West Indians. We have Afro-Latinos. In the Latin community, we have the black Latinos, the white Latinos. Um, I'm an Afro-Latina, and when we talk about African, uh, you know, how we were dispersed and things like that, we ended up in different places of the world. And so, um, you know, having been in the Latino culture, there are people in the Latino culture who will be like, I didn't know there were black Latinos. And I'm like, uh, yeah, there's black everything everywhere. Or, you know, I didn't know there were white this. It's like there's everybody's everywhere. We're a melting pot of colors, rainbows, uh, and all that good stuff. But uh, and when we talk about white people, there's Italian, there's Irish, there's Europeans, there's just so many different, there's Africans. So, you know, there's so many different forms of different people, but because we do come from different cultures and different places, we do deal with different forms of biases, okay? That's whether that's raising our children, how we raise our children, the disciplines that we may use, some of the triggers, like, oh, when you do that, that's very offensive. Uh, and so I find myself, you know, that I'm, that I'm from growing up in a different place, there may be things that I'm like, oh, my God, that's so rude, uh, you know, but here it's not taken like that. Or there may be things that I do that I, that may be offensive because I still have certain mindset that, you know, that I don't mean to be offensive, but, you know, it happens. So, all right, I know I went down a rabbit hole with the horses, the tigers, the lions, and the bears, so I'm going to come back. Because, again, like I said, this is an open dialogue. We don't only have to talk about crisis intervention. I just figured why not, you know, start the conversation off and and so forth. I'm going to unmute everybody's mic. We have a few people on the panel. If you don't feel like talking, you don't have to. And if you have something else you'd like to talk about tonight, please do so. Please share um, whether you want to talk about you know, healing, whether you want to talk about um, crisis intervention, whether you want to talk about something that you've been dealing with personally or something that you went through, what helped you through that process, because we're, uh, we're not stuck on any particular topic tonight. I'm going to mute the mics, but please make sure that if you have a loud background, you mute yourself. You know if your background's loud when you're on the radio, every little pin drop gets picked up by the radio. So I'm about to go in right now. I'm unmuting. Please mute yourself if your background's loud and feel free to join when you're ready. Hi, Dr. Brown. This is Lorraine Forrester. Hi. 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 Dr. Lorraine, how are you? I am great. So you definitely shared a lot of there that um situations of distress, mainly with the, um, whether it's suicide, whether it's dealing with biases, all of those things. And, you know, my area is relationship. And that's when I, what yeah. I thought about, about the things mm-hmm. that we can 
escalate. And a lot of times in relationship, be it a marriage relationship or maybe just somebody that's dating, a lot of times communication is very difficult, especially when one or two people are angry. So it's important that we do know and highlight, I wanted to highlight some of the things that we can do in those situations to de-escalate, you know. You talked about it. Body language is so important, you know. A lot of times we mediate with couples who have reached their wit's end because they just can't communicate well. They always end up in a terrible argument. But some of the things that are very important, like maintaining a certain distance when you're in an argument, if you feel like you're giving off vibes that you may endanger that person or you feel like you're in danger, then you have to maintain a certain safe distance. And that communicates something to the person that you're you're communicating with, you know. If it's a um, marital relationship, sometimes it can be very helpful and you have to know how to read the room, that's for sure. But it can be helpful for you to step in close, for you to reach over and hold the person's hand so you can say something to them that will cause them to de-escalate, to calm down, to relax, to remember that you're on their team. Another thing I wanted to uh, say in terms of being in communication with a mate when there's um, a conflict and tempers are rising, it's very important to have open and relaxed gestures. You know, be very careful about whether your hands are flailing or whether they're, like you said, down by your side so you can show that you're not trying to threat or intimidate the person. So your hand gestures can be very important. Those are a couple of things. Of course, there are several of them, making sure of your facial expressions. You know, all of this is communication, and it can either make the argument or break the argument. You can continue to escalate or you can de-escalate based on what you do. But the most important thing is know how to read the room. If you've seen this behavior before, then perhaps you know what not to do. And then you try something different. And body language is so important in that. Wow. That was really good. I like the fact that you were able to really put that in place with relationships. Um, I was actually speaking with someone today that is dealing with the cycle of abuse. They were in a really abusive relationship that was how aggressive this person was and some of the body languages, hovering over you, coming over you, squaring up on you, you know, things like that does not make it a safe place. It, it, it makes you feel threatened. It makes you feel, whoa, 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 wait, back up. So um, learning to read the room is so important and de-escalate that situation. Mm, that was good. Does anyone else have a comment regarding de-escalation or have you been in a situation where um, you could have de-escalated the situation or the other partner could have de-escalated the situation or a friend who are listening? I know one of the callers is maybe at work, so I know her background's pretty loud sometimes, so let me know when you when you're able to come in and I know you came in a little later, so we're just talking right now about 
de-escalation and really learning how to communicate with with each other. And earlier I was talking about crisis intervention and the importance of de-escalating someone who may be experiencing a crisis. They may be having a mental health crisis and, you know, kind of being outside of who they normally are, right? Um, And when those things happen, our job is to make sure that we don't escalate the situation because, number one, we don't want to get hurt, and we don't want them to get hurt. So there are certain things that we can do to help de-escalate the situation. And we shared, you know, body posture and facial expressions and, you know, some of the things that may be um, helpful to us in trying to de-escalate situations. So if anyone would like to make a comment or share on that, please do. So what I'll do is um, I'll share some techniques, okay? And when you're dealing with the crisis intervention, definitely, you know, you want to kind of define the problem, right? You want to kind of figure out what is the problem? What what problem needs to be solved? How can we solve the problem? And really, you know, try to create a kind of safe space, and again, to let the person know that you are not part of the problem, but you're only trying to help solve or minimize the problem, okay? You want to ensure that the area is safe. While the person's in this space, they may just, like, see red. They may see colors. Uh, So you just want to make sure that the person's safe, that you're safe, you know, Um, and so you want to make sure that you do that, and you want to provide them with some support. Um, Just when they're telling you what's going on, just let them talk. Let them kind of be heard. Don't interrupt them. Don't uh, try to tell them, well, you should do this, and you should just let them kind of talk and get it out until you see them kind of calming down, right? Unless, like I said, if if, it, if they're asking you to give some advice, you can. But sometimes people don't want advice. They have everyone around them giving them advice or telling them what to do. And sometimes they just need a vent. So listen, and uh, just like Dr. Lorraine said earlier, read the room. It might not be a situation where you need to so much give advice, but you may just need to be there to be an ear to listen and to lend some support. So you want to provide support during the crisis, okay? Um, definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does anybody want to say something? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah. Please do join. Hey, um, can you hear me? Yep, loud and clear. Okay, this is Paula. Um, I wanted to ask, uh, when a person is trying to talk, um, and a lot, like you said, a lot of times they just want to talk. They don't want any advice. They don't want to hear a rebuttal. They don't want to hear anything back. They just want to talk. But how do you listen to someone, depending on who it is, if you know that what they're saying is, is either not true or it's an excuse, and it's like they want to hear with. They want you to hear them, but they're not willing to hear you out, if that makes sense. How do you deal with that? Dr. Lorraine, you want to answer that? 
What's your, sure. Yeah, but blah, blah, blah. how do people deal with that in relationships yeah. with people? So in relationships, I think the... Not the, relationship the, like marriage relationship, like mm-hmm. just a general... It could be a child, your child. It could be a friend. It could be not. I'm not talking about like romantic relationships or girlfriend boyfriend. Just mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It could still yeah. be general when you when I said relationship, mm-hmm. I meant it like in general. But mm-hmm. yeah, okay, got it. So this could definitely be a workplace situation. It could be mother, daughter, you know, anybody that's in relationship. So a rule of communication that's very important is seek first to understand. So do listen and try to understand what they're saying and why they're saying it. If they're being repetitive, why are they? Is it because they think you don't hear them or you're not listening or you don't value their opinion? So find out why and try to understand that piece. And the best way to understand it is to let them know, depending on who the person is and whether there's danger, you may reach out and take their hand or you may place your hand on their shoulder and say, let me make sure I understand you because I want to be sure that I know what you're saying. Or you can ask them, okay, did you say X, Y, Z? And, of course, that's going to allow them to continue to talk. And as you continue to talk to this person, you'll realize whether they're talking just because they want to talk and that way they're going to keep on, they're going to keep being repetitive and continue. There will be no progress in that type of conversation. And because there's not any progress, then you have to find a way to excuse yourself from that conversation. And then on another day in time, you go back and revisit it, and you say, Dr. Lorraine, I know the other day you were explaining to me how to work on this car, but you gave me so much information that I didn't, I got overwhelmed. So I think the important parts were A, B, C, D. But usually when you talk to me, can you give me a more concise explanation? So you find a way to let them know that you are interested. And as you are interested, let them know also that you don't need them to write a whole dissertation. You just need a concise mm-hmm explanation, but you do it in such a way that they're not offended. And so, again, it depends on who this person might be. You will say that same thing to a child, but say it differently to a coworker who may be your superior. But the main thing, again, all these cliches, people don't care what you know until they know you care. So you let them know, I care about you, and I care about what you're trying to communicate. So I need you to do it in a way that I understand. So you take the ownership or you say to them, it's me. I'm the one who doesn't understand. I know you're doing your best trying to communicate. So could you please say it in a different way? Dr. Nancy speaks different languages. If she spoke to me in anything other than English, I'm going to have to ask her in some way, please speak to me in English so that I understand. That's the deficit that I have, you know. And then she'll come back and she'll talk to me in the language that I understand. And so even though you may be speaking English to English, sometimes you have to let people know that you don't have the same filter. 
Does that make sense? It makes sense. It's just hard. It and is because it takes a lot of selflessness. It's closer to you, like a child. Mm-hmm. It's even harder because it's like I don't know. But I get what mm-hmm. you're saying. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, and like I said, sometimes you just have to pause the conversation. And the way you pause it is going to be either healthy or unhealthy. If you walk out the room, that's not healthy. If you say, I'm sorry, I'm overwhelmed right now with this conversation and I need to go and think about this and reflect on it. And then you go ahead and walk away. And then when you can, you come back to it explaining what you need in communication. Okay. I can deal with other people, it's just certain people, <laughs> but I guess yeah. that makes sense if I'm going to use that the next time, mm-hmm. if, you know, just mm-hmm. remember those key things. Mm-hmm. And the key thing is, first of all, help them to know that you understand, and then secondly, you have the ability to pause the conversation. You don't have to stand there and listen to someone who continuously talks to you in a language that you don't understand. Okay. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, that was good. That was good. Uh, also, you know, basically turn the other cheek. <laughs> turn the other <laughs> yeah. cheek. Sometimes yeah. it's hard to do, y'all, but you know what? Especially... Yeah. When you see that the other person is all the way up here, you're like, you know, because you're in your right place in your right mind. And and just like um, Dr. Lorraine said, guess what? You don't got to address it. You don't have to deal with it right then and there. You can say, you know what? Let me let me just gather my thoughts. Let me think about it. Let me, I'll, we'll come back to that conversation because you might be reactive. You might not be prepared for that conversation. You might come out like, you know what? Who are you talking to? So, and you don't want to do that. So you might need to say, you may need a pause. That was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that also allows you to feel good about yourself because you've displayed a level of self-control, you know? Mm. So even though you may be a little frustrated in the moment, when you step away and think about it, you, wow, I use self-control. I was able to control myself and not go off on them, you know, and it didn't end real ugly. So pausing is definitely a superpower. That is definitely a superpower. Wow. And I like the fact that you said, you know, you like that? Yeah, I like what she said. Um, Pausing is a superpower. I like that. And I like, you know, how you said sometimes you have to check your understanding. Let me, did I understand you correctly? Because people sometimes don't like when you be like, I get you, you're saying this. And they're like, no, that is not what I said. <laughs> you know, they get offended when you tr- mm-hmm. you're thinking you're doing the service mm-hmm. by reiterating what you thought you heard. But sometimes mm-hmm. it's okay to say, well, let me get this correct. Did you mean this when you said that? Or what did you, you know, and you may need them to say no, because like you said, you get them to speak a little bit more. You get them to talk and get a little more dialogue. You can ask, did I hurt you? You know, help me understand how. And then, you know, 
sometimes you, you need to apologize. That was not my intention to hurt you. I was dealing with some personal stuff. I was broken. I was hurt. I'm sorry if I hurt you through that process. And it's okay to take that accountability and or express some form of remorse, right? Because sometimes we don't have to be, you know, tough. It's okay to say, I apologize. I'm sorry if I hurt you. That definitely was not my intention. So kind of take that accountability in that part. Mm-hmm. I agree. And you I may, think many, mm-hmm. I was just going to say, I okay. think many um, African-American students have not had the opportunity to participate in debates. When you have a debate class, you learn to argue your point without being offended. And that's something in our communities, it was taught less. If you argued, that means you had to be upset, you had to get mad, you had to go toe-to-toe, you know. But debating teaches you how to present your position and how to um, present it in a way that you can possibly convince the other person to feel otherwise but not take any offense to it. And so even though we didn't have that in elementary school or middle school, we can, even as adults, learn that debating is not always a negative thing, dangerous crisis position where there's, um, where there's abuse or anything like that happening to you. It's good to know how to debate and how to stay calm, not to be too upset or angry or afraid. You know? That was good. I never really thought about that, but it's so true. You know, we, we're not really depends, like you said, culturally, like where we grow up, what part we grew up in, like certain areas for um, African Americans, we don't have that. That's like fighting words. What you say? And then it's like, you know, you know, uh, with like, for example, the rap culture, you know, you go back and forth, you go toe to toe. You just, it's a, it's, the debate is not like a fair, clean debate, professional debate, but it's more or less insulting and offensive and defensive. And so it's fighting words. Like you ready to fight. Yeah. You say, what you say about my mama? I didn't say uh-huh. that about your mama. I was just saying this. <laughs> and that's how you're taught. I never really thought of it that way. That was good. But I think that even as adults today, you know, you could take a class. You could take a debating class. I know that um, in school a lot of times they try to tell you do not avoid classes that are uncomfortable for you, like the public speaking class or the debate class. Try to take those classes because later on, at some point, you're gonna those those are tools that could be very beneficial to you mm-hmm. as you're growing. So mm-hmm. as adults, we still can take some of these classes, or when we return back to school, be open to try something that's a little bit uncomfortable and push through. Um, I will say for me. Um, growing up, I didn't used to get a lot of like that affirmation, like "good job." You know how you see people, like now mm-hmm. they go for each other really hard. They encourage each other. Like I, I didn't get that, so yeah. I don't like group stuff. I struggle in the mm-hmm. area of group things. I do better by myself or small mm-hmm. groups. I'm like, oh, I'm good. I got this covered. I, I got it covered. But when it comes to group situations, I have a lot of uh, anxiety. 
because I see, mm-hmm. I, I will notice something that maybe somebody's not even trying to portray. Like, I'd be like, wow, they're screaming for her. They ain't screaming for me. They hate me. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Whereas, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you know, you see them cheering for, like, little kids. They're like, yep, that's my baby. Yup. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah. Then I go up yeah. and nobody's cheering, and it does something really big for my mm-hmm. mental and my self-esteem emotionally. Mm-hmm. Um, and that comes right. from, I know that comes from my childhood. So um, mm-hmm. people, some people get offended, again, when we're talking about, like, um, debating, um, they might have been encouraged, like, yep, you better go up there and say, and I was, a lot of people were not taught to debate because that's rude yeah. or that's disrespectful. So you take a lot of yeah. abuse because you you don't know how to defend yourself with respect. Mm-hmm. Appreciated that. Mm-hmm. Does anybody have a comment on that? Go ahead. You gonna say something, Paula? Oh no, Paula, are you the debater? Are you okay with debates? Where you at with that topic? Are you okay with debates? Where are you at with that topic? You get offended? Where you, you know, do you know? Can you connect that a little bit to childhood or teenagehood or just culturally wise or anything like that? The area of debate. Like were you taught that? I wasn't really taught I really wasn't taught debating. I wasn't taught debating but I do debate. I don't really like it. <laughs> I mean, like if I'm passionate about something I don't I guess I wouldn't really I don't know if I would call it debating, but like my daughter and I we I guess it's a debate thing and I like to talk about things, but I don't like when it escalates. Like when I see, I can tell when a person is just being passionate about it or they really getting offended, you know. And when they start getting offended, I'm like, okay, let me just back down because it's, it's, it's not to be offensive. It's just to voice your opinion and it's okay to disagree. That's my mindset. And I notice sometimes, like, when my daughter and I talk about things, she's passionate about what she's talking about. I'm passionate. And sometimes we can go there, you know, not like being mad, but I can tell them, like, okay, this is not going the right way. So I like to talk about things. But like you said, I think there's a way to talk about it and voice your opinion and still agree to disagree. I'm okay with that. Yeah, and with those family relationships, the familiar relationships, they get a little bit more intense, especially when it's like an in-law situation because so many things are taken so personal, you know. And, it's you know, there are things that, you know, I might come and ask you, do you like red cars? And you say no. Then all of a sudden in my head, you know what, Paula never likes anything that I bring to her, you know. And I'm I'm saying that because I'm assuming I know what you think because I've, I've lived around you. I've heard about you. But I didn't hear what you said. You said that you didn't like the red car. You didn't say you don't like everything that I do. And sometimes we have to take our family members at face value what they say, let that be their truth. And even though they didn't like red cars back in 2000, maybe now they've changed their mind. 
and we should give people permission to do that. But when it's familiar relationships, we kind of put people in blocks, you know, and say this is who they are. They're never going to change. As a matter of fact, they're just mean to me, you know. And so we have to learn to be free in our relationships, to let people be who they are in that moment. You might have been somebody else last week, but if I meet you today and you show me this person today, that's what I'm going to rock with. I'm going to rock with the Paula that I see today. And when I see you next week, I'm not going to hold you to this conversation and say, you know what, Paula always wears a black blouse on Wednesday. No. You know? So a lot of times we put things into the conversations that aren't even there realistically. And we do that a lot with family members and in-laws. That's good. That's that grace. You know, that's really like practicing that grace that we expect God to have for us. We're so quick to be like, Lord, please forgive my sins. He washes away my sins. That's it. He's not looking back at my sins. He's looking forward. They tell us, don't look back or you turn into a pillar of salt. Keep looking forward. But a lot of times we have a hard time extending that same grace to other people. Mm -hmm. Why do we struggle with that, you know? That's a a tough struggle for some of us. It's like, well, they did that to me in 2015. And you're like, we're we're in 2024, and we're just trying to keep moving forward. And you don't want God Mm -hmm. to bring up what you did in 2012. You don't want to bring that up. So let's just keep going to 2024, and, and let's meet where we are today. Yeah. How do we get to that place? Like. Uh, I think you know, for me is go ahead. Uh-huh. Go ahead. You were gonna say for me. Oh no, I, I was gonna say it short. I said for me is I just try to remember like wow, well God had that grace on me, you know, because mm-hmm. I know I've forgiven a lot of people who done so many horrible things to me, but I know God's forgiven me because I'm not I'm not perfect. I'm not without blemish. I know. I've done horrible things as well. So I just, I'm grateful that God is still able to use me and still able to use me as a vessel in spite of, mm-hmm. you know, my shortcomings and some of the things that I've done. And so I try to just, you know, I can walk in a situation and, and people be like, what, bitch, you act like that happened. Because for me, I understand what grace has done for me. And because mm-hmm. I don't want God to take away his grace from me. I extend right. grace to others. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That works for me. Yeah. And that's what it is. It's grace and understanding that God extends it to us. It's forgiveness, you know, and forgiveness, and here we go with another cliche, but forgiveness is definitely you drinking poison and expecting somebody else to die. So I'm going to hold this thing against you. You know, and the other person's over here living their life. They've forgotten all about the thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of times we get in our own heads, and that's why a lot of people suffer with anxiety because they're in their own heads. And that's why it's so important now that we have therapists and counselors to talk to because we don't talk to our friends and our neighbors like we used to. 
you know, back in the day when, you know, the neighbor could drop over for a, a cup of tea or, you know, whatever and just sit there and chat all day. Somebody ring your doorbell today, nine times out of ten, you're not going to answer. You don't care if it's the neighbor or who it is, you know. Yeah. And so you have that opportunity to talk to people. And when we're not talking, we're in our own heads. We're being overwhelmed with anxiety and depression. The way out is to talk to a therapist, to get some counseling, and that's a good way to do it. And then in that, hopefully, you will be encouraged, inspired, and taught how to start having these conversations with your loved ones. So when you will go to the family reunion and not have anxiety, you know? So it's our culture today. You know, we have we live in a cancel climate. You know, if you offend me, I'm canceling you. I'm not talking to you anymore. I'm not answering your phone. I'm going to block you on my cell phone. You know, that's not progress. That's not grace. That's not really going to bring you more peace. And a lot of people do those things. I'm going to block them because I want to preserve my peace. No, you're just avoiding a situation that could have helped you grow. Cutting off your family. You're cutting off legacy because you decided to block your auntie's number. You know, it's there's so many things happening in our world today because of the way we've chosen to live. In a way that we're not. I know you're helping somebody. Go ahead. I'm sorry. So. I said I know you're helping somebody. Yes, you are. Please say that. Finish what you were saying. I'm sorry. Yeah, God is. He's relational. He created us to be relational, but we continue to, like you said, not extend grace. We're not being relational. We're not relating to each other. Anytime there's a battle, one of the main things that they seek to do is cut off the communication. When there's a war, they want to cut off communication. Whether you're spiritual or not, we need to recognize we are in a war. And our communication is being cut off because rather than walk through the store and see somebody and say, hello, how are you doing? Those are some nice things you have on. We got our phone stuck up to our face and we're walking through the store. Don't talk to me. Don't speak. Don't look at me. So the enemy is being successful in cutting off our communication with each other. Wow. I'm over here. I had the mute button on. (laughs) I was like, whoo. (laughs) Whoa. That was a lot, y'all. That was good. That's a spiritual warfare. That is a demonic attack. God is relational. God yeah. is relational. That is not God. Yeah. That is not God. Well, you can pass the offering bowl. That's it. It's over. It's over. <laughs> Amen. Man, that was good. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. That was a good reminder. Go ahead. Yeah, that was a good reminder. And it's true. We do it in our families, and we do it out, you know, with people out in public, too. I can remember. When my daughter would be upstairs and she called me on the phone and I would tell her, don't call me, come downstairs and talk to me, you know, or don't text me, come downstairs and talk. I thought that was the craziest thing, but 
it wasn't before long that I started to do the same thing. I'm like, okay, I don't want to yell all the way downstairs. Let me just call her, <laughs> you know. But I have to be conscious about not doing those things, you know. When we have our Sunday dinner, when we have them, I'm intentional about asking everybody to put their phones on the table and let's talk. And it doesn't matter what you're talking about. You'll have some conversation that's going to be beneficial to someone in some way. And that's why we don't communicate well, mainly because we don't do it, you know? And that's how situations come about. Like you mentioned earlier, the whole um, unfortunate suicide, because people don't know who else is for them. And the other person maybe didn't tell them, I love you and I'm for you, because they were afraid to be vulnerable, you know? And then after they pass away, oh, my God, I really love them. I wish, you know. But when they were loved, you didn't want to impose. You didn't want to put yourself out there and say those things. You didn't want to take the time to listen. As a matter of fact, you didn't want to answer that call when they call. But we have, God works through us to be open and be available for people because we, we never know what people are thinking. But if we're there and we're willing to listen, there are people who would talk or we wouldn't have jobs in terms of counselors because we have people who are talking all the time in the office. But even though that's the truth, I would love to see more people talking in their homes. Do you think that's a concern that you work with often, the people wow. not being vulnerable with family. I'm sorry. I was muted. I was over here like, mm, 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 in the back. <laughs> I agree with you. You know, I think, and, I, and I'm not going to lie, sometimes I've been guilty of it, um, especially mm-hmm. if I have a very, very, very long day, which this is just a really long week for me. I have... Uh, Excuse me, I leave in the morning. This week is just a training week, so I leave in the morning. I'm gone all day. Then I come in. I'm behind on homework, and then I have another class till 930, and then sometimes I'm on the radio. This is just a a tough week, so I know for a fact. I said hello to the kids, and I kept moving. I should have stopped. I kept going upstairs. Anything could happen, and we don't want to live in regret. So I think even, you know, it's good to catch ourselves and say, hey, Mm -hmm. let's be intentional about checking in. Why? Because when we don't talk as a family, the enemy has more free reign to even whisper in our kids' ears. Uh, They might be dealing with, struggling with something that they may need to talk talk about. Um, You stopping allows God to work through you, and you may say a word that shifts and sends back whatever that attack is. So us being yeah. connected and being intentional and paying attention is very important. So, mm-hmm. um, no, I'm completely in agreement. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And we miss so many opportunities when we get offended in conversations like, um, you know, the conversations that may cause us to have to debate a little bit. Um, my grandkids were over yesterday. Yesterday they came after school. 
And I would have, my plan was to go and sit down and do some reading. And then something happened that we had to pick them up from here. And so now what? They could go and look at YouTube, get on devices, or they could, or I could talk to them. So I to give them a little bit of black history and tell them what it was like when I used to walk to the bus stop to go to school, you know. And they started, at first they were like, ah, oh, they didn't want to hear it, you know, please let us go, get our devices. Then they got interested in it, and they started asking me questions about when I went to school. So the opportunities are always there. We just have to, like you said, stop. Wow, and that was good. And like you said, you were able to teach them something about their history through your history, you know. And it was pretty interesting to them. And they they will they wanna hear but because they if they if we don't try, they're not mm-hmm. gonna know that they have an interest in that. Yeah. Okay. And we're also I thought that was really good. Also teaching them not mm-hmm. to um go into their own heads, you know. Uh in the conversations, um something about the black history once one of the kids said that the other had a boyfriend, and uh, so then she said he had a boy, a girlfriend, and so this, you know, these kids are like ten and eight. So, with the, I figured there was more to the conversation that they wanted to talk about. So I told them, you know, when I was ten years old, I had a boyfriend. We were boyfriend and girlfriend for three hours one day. <laughs> And they found it so funny, and they were like, tell us about it. And I told them how it happened when he asked me, can I go with you? And then by the end of the day, he was upset because I was talking to my neighbor who was a boy, and then he said, I quit you. <laughs> but they listened, and they they started telling me what was on their minds, you know. And that it it went from there, Dr. Brown, to um, – somebody in their class had different sexual preferences. Mm-hmm. Now, this mm-hmm. wasn't a conversation they would just necessarily come up to me or their parents and open up and start talking about this. But in our conversation, it landed there. They felt freer to have the conversation. And so I got a chance to share with them from a spiritual perspective, you know, and not judge anybody but just kind of guide their thought process because they're children so definitely taking time to keep those doors of communication open are very important things I love that how it went from one conversation to another but the key point there was conversation it opens up the door for communication. It opens up the door for trust. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and allows you to catch whatever you needed to catch to, to be used right. to be able to say whatever you needed to be used to just leave it there mm-hmm. and, and, yeah. and uh like Bishop says, stir the water and just leave it there. Yeah. Right? Mhm. Yeah. Mhm. That is the truth. 
right. So I know we have um, Philip. I'm not trying to call you out, but if you have any comments <laughs> or any questions, you can share. If you don't feel like it, you could just listen. But you know, I love hearing from you. <laughs> um, I don't feel like it today. Not today. It's okay. You don't have to. Just want to acknowledge you. Love having you with us. All right. And uh, Ms. Paula, did you get anything from that? Or did you have any comments? I know you got a lot from everything because we all here, but uh, did you have any comments or did anything strike your mic is open, Ms. Paula? I don't know. We can't really hear you. I hear when you open up your mute, but I'm not hearing you speaking. All right. So I'm going to share something else, and then you let me know when, you wanna, when you're able to come back on. Um, okay. So one of the things that I said earlier is you just kind of want to apologize, um, and you want to really just kind of show that you really – have a sincere intention to that your intention really sincerely to help fix the problem and to prevent it from happening again. That's one of the things that I think are most important when you're trying to repair a relationship. Like, um, I'm going to unmute everybody. If you know your background cloud, please mute yourself. I'm just going to unmute everybody so that whenever you're ready to share, if you have a comment or a question while we're speaking, you're able to do that. So I'm unmuting the mic. If you know your background's loud, mute yourself so you're ready to speak. But, um, you know, we're talking about different ways to heal in relationships, whether it's a marital relationship or whether it's a child and parent relationship or just a loved one relationship or a best friend or a friend or, you know, whatever type of relationship. It could be a coworker relationship. You know, when you're trying to – work through relationships, and earlier I was also sharing about crisis intervention. If you notice somebody that's escalating in a crisis, how to kind of de-escalate it, and a lot of what we're talking about still kind of helps to, it still kind of relates in the area of relationships, right? Um, But one of the things that I, that's important to me as well is really expressing your sincere intention to fix the situation and prevent it from happening again. Um, some people, when they do something that may be offensive or hurtful, um, disrespectful, derogatory, they're like, oh, well, they don't like it, they don't like it too bad. You know, that's not a way that you're really going to get healing to go on, to take place at that moment, not with that type of attitude. Humble yourself and accept your part in it or, you know, just apologize for hurting their feelings. Acknowledge that you hurt their feelings. Um and allow them that time to kind of express how they feel. If that's their healing session, kind of let them share because they're the ones at that, you know, higher level, maybe being upset or offended. Allow them that time to heal. Allow them that time to be heard. And just let them know that you really do apologize. If you hurt them in any way, I'm going to unmute you. But if, I'm sorry, I'm going to just say this again. Um, I'm going to make sure that I mute all the mics. If anybody has a comment or would like to make a comment, you're welcome to join us at any time. 
I'm just going to unmute you, but if you know your background flower, please mute yourself, and then I'll mute yourself when you're ready to share. Um, but like I was saying, you know, uh, in the area of recovery, uh, recovering that relationship and healing that relationship, let's find a way to express that sincere intention to fix the situation and really prevent it from happening again. So if you did something that offended your loved one, somebody you care about, excuse me, you, know, you apologize for your wrongdoing or your part in it because maybe you didn't, you didn't mean to offend the person. Maybe you were not having a good day. Maybe you were dealing with whatever it is, personal issues you were dealing with. But no matter what, the truth of the matter is that your actions or the way that you reacted or the way that you spoke to your loved one, those people you care about, it hurt them some type of way. So, you know, you apologize, you accept the responsibility, and you walk in your healing, you walk in your recovery, but you want to also make sure that you that you that they share with you what the issue was or when they share it with you, that you kind of express that intention to want to fix the situation and prevent it from happening again. Earlier we were talking about crisis and crisis intervention. We talked about different steps to de-escalate situations. We talked about the importance of, you know, having cultural competence, uh, understanding that we all come from different backgrounds, different walks of life. And body language might be offensive when you're dealing with people from different walks of life, you know, standing with your arms crossed or standing with your hands up, like pointing your finger down at the person like you're going to, I'm 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 going to jack you up, right? Type of thing. You have to be careful uh, doing that because it it can be very um, offensive and it can cause a situation to go from zero to one hundred, literally, really quick. Um, being you know cautious about our um, somebody's phone call drops, but being um, aware of your facial expressions, making sure that you're trying to have a relaxed gesture and your facial expressions just a little more calm. You know, it's not harsh and looking like you're angry, but um, like Dr. Lorraine said earlier, you want to listen to understand and you want to show that you are listening. Uh, And sometimes you have to kind of ask the person, take the time to say, hey, did I hear you correctly? And maybe repeat what you think you heard. Some people get offended. Like, I did not say that. I don't know where you got that from. Um, So it's okay to ask them. If, if that's if you heard correct, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you have something you wanted to say? We just had a few new people in the room. That's why I was trying to um, reiterate. Go ahead, Dr. Lorraine, were you saying something? No, I wasn't, Um, but definitely, you know, all the things that you're recapping or something, you know, those things are very important. Um, And, you know, I hope that those who are listening are finding that information that they can use as well because everything that you've shared, you know, is very important. And these are situations that we run into from day to day, whether it's at home, with our family, with whether it's a spouse, our children, or in the workplace. 
And, you know, we have the tools to communicate very effectively. We have the tools to protect ourselves without even, um, you know, being uh, physical. You know, the mouth is a very powerful thing, you know, and the Bible talks about that as well. But it is, and it's used in the right way. You can always reach a positive result. But it takes consistency in your efforts, you know. So when we do these things, we have to be consistent in listening. We have to be consistent in making sure that our position is to help the person understand that we do care. And then once they know that you care, they can listen to whatever advice you might have, whether it's de-escalating a situation or information that could add to their life about them doing something differently. There's so many things. The body language is important when we use those specific things. Our communication gets better, you know. Um, Say you're in your workplace and somebody who is your uh, superior or your go-to manager, uh, if they still deserve you still deserve respect from that person. So just because they're your go-to, they shouldn't talk to you any kind of way. But you have to know how to communicate to them in such a way that they will still respect you, you'll keep the job, and they will change their behavior towards you. So you can the, – the way to do it is not to look at them and say, you know what, you better get out of my face right now, blah, 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 you know. No, because you know what, your mortgage is still going to be due next month, you know, so you might want to hold on to it. So how can you let them know that I'm not going to tolerate the disrespect? Say you have a manager who comes to your desk and stands over you and talks down to you with a tone that's not acceptable to you. The first thing you do is gently stand up, not in an offensive, like I'm getting ready to fight your way, but just, you know, do it in a peaceful manner. Stand up and look at them eye to eye and let them know, I appreciate your leadership, but I need you to really tone your volume down a little bit when you talk to me, you know. And that's not going to be something that they're going to say, okay, I'm going to fire you because you told me that I need to quiet down. No. They're going to understand that Dr. Brown is not the one I can play with like that. But if you sit down and they, they're standing over you and raising their voice and you're saying, okay, okay, I'll do it. Okay, what else do you need me to do? Okay. Then they're going to do that just about every day, you know, and having you stressed like I hate my job. I don't want to go there. God, why do I have to go back to this place today? Any place that you've been positioned in is where you are a child of God. I don't want to make any assumptions and no judgment. But if you are a child of God, if you are there, God expects you to feel comfortable in that place. So learning how to communicate to your go-to manager, to people who answer to you, to your peers, is going to be very important, and it can be very impactful. Dr. Nancy, have you ever heard anybody say that? I don't make friends at work. I go to work to work. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, have have heard I heard them say, say what? I don't I go that I go I to work for work? Yeah, I don't make friends at work. I just go to work to oh, work. Yeah. I don't like that. I don't like when I hear that. It makes me kinda feel yeah. a little sad. I don't like that because it just sounds so mean. Yeah. And that's I don't know. eight it hours of your so day. Not nice. 
Yeah. That's that's eight hours of your day, and you're there not being yourself. You know? It's not so much you're trying to make friends, but you're going to be cordial in that eight hours. You're going to get some joy out of it. That's a different way to look at it. Not to say they have to come over and have dinner with you on the weekend, but while you're spending that eight hours there, why not enjoy each other? Why not learn from each other? Why not take it as the opportunity to teach people to say you're having a problem at home with teaching people to respect you? Well, maybe that's a good place to start at work, and then you bring it home, you know? There's so many different opportunities for positive communication in the workplace. It really, you know, just makes me feel uncomfortable when I hear people say that they don't talk to people at work. That's eight hours of your Mm -hmm. life choosing to shut down. Yeah. And most of it doesn't of times, break yeah. mm-hmm. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, a lot of times <clears throat> something may be broken inside of them. They might be in a, not in a good place. Because, like, people, when they're in a good, happy place, they normally they don't talk like that. That normally happens when you're, like, in a kind of maybe place or kind of – I don't know. Does anybody have a comment about that? I mean, that's a good topic right there. The mics are open. You're welcome to join. We have six people on the panel. Please feel free somebody to come up and share with us. We'd love to hear from you. I just got on recently. I heard some of what was said, but I'm not sure which theme of discussion we're on all the way. So I knew the Okay. You want to say a synopsis of it, Dr. Lorraine? <laughs> sure, I will. So Dr. Brown started out talking about some things that we could do to de-escalate situations. And she talked about those uh, scenarios such as if you're in conflict, if you're in danger, talked a little bit uh, about crisis situations, how do you de-escalate those, and then we moved on to talk a little bit about body language and things that you can do to de-escalate, putting your hands down, making eye contact or not making eye contact, those things that can allow you to Well, first you need to read the room to know what's going to help in this situation. And so in that, we know that we do have the ability to uh, communicate and to communicate well, but a lot of people choose not to because they will not use the body language or they may feel a bit insecure or they feel that they have a lack of self-control. So if Dr. Nancy and I are talking and all of a sudden she says something that I don't like and I get upset and try to yell and help her to understand what I'm saying, that's not going to be productive. So we need to learn self-control as a part of communication. So I guess if we were going to put all of this in one basket, it's different ways of communicating. How do we de-escalate situations? How do we show confidence 
in situations and how do we effectively communicate? And uh, the question was posed that when we have relationship with somebody, which could be a mother-daughter relationship or a relationship with a child, how do we deal with it when they just talk and talk and they don't let you uh, say anything and they're getting upset? And we talked about how you could de-escalate those situations. And one of the things was to first let them know that you do care and you do want to understand. And if they bulldoze the conversation, you have the ability to pause and say, I need to step away for a moment to process this. And you can come back tomorrow and say, well, you know, Dr. Nancy, I think I understood you to say X, Y, Z. And all the information you gave me at the volume that you gave it was overwhelming. So can we try to communicate on that topic again, but can you just do it a little bit more concise and maybe lower your volume a little bit? And so pausing and coming back to the conversation, sometimes, though, we don't need to even go back to the conversation if we haven't learned self-control. So basically communication, communication in sensitive times. Thank you. That was good. Um, Thank you. Thank you so much. I appreciate the update and the synopsis. Um, mm-hmm. Now I can respond because I didn't want to respond on the thing that we weren't talking about. Um, for me, because I start with myself first, when I think of the word de-escalation, which is something I use a lot when I'm in trainings, and my name's Kenya, mm-hmm. um, it really, this subject matter really speaks to me in the present tense as today because um, one of the key things, with de-escalation as it relates to myself is I'm not going to be at a place of de-escalation if I'm not being honest with myself on where I'm at. And when I say where I'm at, I'm saying emotionally, holistically. So for mm-hmm. me, it's first having a safe space for myself, meaning mm-hmm. whether it's getting up slow enough in the morning so I can hear my higher power God speak into me, what's my course of action for the day, whether it means pausing long enough to hear the birds as I awaken in the morning so that I'm not just in a rush and just moving nowhere. Uh, For me, that means as recent as within the last 24 hours, um, frank and honest as I'm going to be, having boundaries and having integrity in my worth. Um, And when I say that, I am going to go there. Um, I had a, a client, potential client at the time, became a client as of today, but long story short, um, they was they their their initial take was, well, I can't have this price and this price, and I let them talk because I was staying professional, but I also was being professional with myself and like I've worked hard, I've done what I needed to do. Yes, I'm open to doing a payment plan, but what I'm not going to do, and I didn't go you know disrespectful with the person, but it was just like. It was a conversation within myself, like, don't compromise your word for sake of being nice because at the end of the day, you got to eat and you have a daughter to feed too. But definitely be listening and see if there's some alternatives, but don't compromise at the sake of your own household. And also be open to sharing additional resources and let them make the choice because at the end of the day, it's their choice, um, despite who it was referred from. So those spaces... Uh, for de-escalation work for me as far as just being honest, being transparent, 
showing up for myself in the midst of showing up for others, um, despite what I may be feeling. Yesterday, today, most of this week, um, even though this week is fresh, my energy has been really low, but I'm also conscious of why it's low. Um, mm-hmm. Being self-aware is important because um, my husband, seven days from now, will be the date that he passed on. Um, mm-hmm. So my body does something funky during that time period, but I'm conscious of it. Um, mm-hmm. So what I've done, I went to, I did some peer, engage, a peer engagement today, and I did a group session this evening. And God mm-hmm. used both dynamics to keep me in a place of calm, but in the process helped someone else get to a place of calm in their own space, meaning mm-hmm. it was testimony exchanges on both ends and one engagement, conversations with a lot of fellow peers. And then this evening, literally less than an hour ago, uh, the person who was questioning was just so enlightened and was like, hey, thank you. You know, I, I'm here. And mm-hmm. I was just like, wow, God, it took me just being honest with my boundaries and showing up for me so I can be present because I'm not going to be present if I'm broken in my commitment. And that kept me. may not be the traditional way de-escalation is worded, but when I'm in the um, peer circles and things like that, a person who experienced mental health diagnosis, I tend to use de-escalation from the space of how can I stay or how can you stay emotionally well. And for me and for others I talk to, it usually boils down to are you being honest with yourself? Am I being honest with myself? And if I'm not, why do I feel like I can't be? Which means I have to have a safe place and deeper than that. I have to be confident within myself on how I'm showing up. That's all I got. So share with me, you've been through that. This is Dr. Lorraine. You mentioned that your husband passed away, and there are, you said, 14 days, did you say? Um, I was, he passed on February the 14th, and his birthday was January 18th. So typically during this time period, I tend to step back from overcommitting. I just kind of, you know, do what I need to do in between. But when I show up, whatever circle I'm in, I try to make sure I'm showing up in a space of where I can just be authentic and honest. Mm-hmm. Um, and I work with a lot of peers because I myself am a peer, so I find that very therapeutic. And I've already yeah. gone through, like, grief coaching myself, so mm-hmm. I recognize a lot of spaces as normal. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I was just wondering how you responded when you said, like you said, your body starts to do something different during that season. So I was just wondering what your response was to that and knowing that this is the season. Would you say? Oh, yeah. It was like just physical exhaustion. Mm-hmm. Like usually when I sleep, because I usually sleep six to eight hours. So sometimes my body may be like, it's not even like feeling anxious or depressed. It's like my body just might be like, oh, you're tired. And I'm like, I'm not tired. So I lean in that space for a moment, not mm-hmm. a long moment, maybe 30 minutes, an hour. But then mm-hmm. once I'm up, even if it's like, okay, I got to go to the restroom. I'm going to get to the restroom. Okay, I need to brush my teeth. I'm going to get to the brush my teeth. Okay, I'm going to wash up. Okay, I'm going to get to that. But once I get outside, I'm usually fine. It's just knowing that space after four years of going through that space, I recognize it so it's familiar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That was good. 
Thank you, Kenya, for sharing that because um, I'm sure that a lot of people can relate. And I think um, also it's a fear that it's, just, it's important to, you know, walk with other people who can understand and give you that space where you could be authentically who you are and not have to worry about being judged or having to overly explain yourself for it to make sense because us, we we get it, get you. And you also bring light to us if we may be feeling something or thinking about something that, you know, we could be like, wow, actually I could relate to that. Okay. So whenever you do show up and you show up as you is the best thing that you can do because people are they, they are them in their bodies. Even if they show up fake on the outside, you're speaking to their inside. You're speaking to their spirit. You're speaking to their heart. So somebody in the room is going to get what they need to get because you are being authentically you. So thank you for for being true to that. We appreciate you. You're welcome. Mm -hmm. Always. All right, y'all. So we are down. I wish you would have came a little earlier, Miss Kenya. We are down to four minutes and 44 seconds. It said 444 on my screen. So um, if anyone has a comment or has a question or wants to just share a nugget, please do so because we're closer to the end. Something that was said some time ago, I think on one of the calls, was a lot of uh, Mrs. Kenya again, something I've been learning to embrace also over the last few years, is it's okay not to be okay. Um, I think from my experience so many times, at least for me, people so used to me showing up happy-go-lucky all the time. So when they find me in this new season of my life where through accountability team, my therapist, my psychiatrist, I have a team of people I work with that I trust, you know, dearly. but I find myself more direct these days, you know, more honest on where I'm at. And if I don't feel the need to speak, discernment comes in handy too. But it's okay not to be okay. <laughs> the, the, the underlying with that is not to get stuck. So that's mm-hmm. something that I've been leaning into for a while, you know, because every day is not happy-go-lucky. Is it a good day? It's, that's relative. But my perception of it may not necessarily be good that day or that moment. So, yeah. I like that you said that because um, you said it's okay not to be okay. You hear people say it, and just like Dr. Lorraine said earlier, there's a lot of cliches, right? But you kind of broke that down just, just so real because for me, my place to be broken and be ugly and be whatever would be uh, when I would go to church. Uh, that was my place to be whatever because I'm, I'm out in the world I'm advocating, I'm counseling, I'm supporting, I'm smiling, I'm promoting, I'm this. And and by the time you you like, man, I'm not okay, okay? <laughs> you couldn't really be yourself a lot of times when you're out because you have to have a smile, you have to take pictures, you got to look happy, everything has to look good. But guess what, y'all? It's okay not to be okay. Where can you find that place that you can just say, man, I'm not okay? I don't care what you saw in that commercial that – advertisement, that magazine, I don't care what you saw on Google, I'm going Mm -hmm. through something. 
where can I just just cry and just be like, man, I'm not okay? Where can I go to get that help and say I'm not okay? So I think it is so important, like you said, you found a community, you found a team, you know, you you have your doctor, your counselor, your therapist, your, you know, you have your support system. And I think it's so important for us to really kind of learn, educate ourselves on mental health uh, resources and be able to uh, reach out to those resources so that we can have those safe communities to prevent, uh, you know, suicide and mental illness and, and people uh, dealing with crisis situations. So we're down to 90 seconds. If anybody has a book, uh, if anybody has anything that they'd like to promote, go ahead. you got like 90 seconds. Sure. We have a couples retreat coming up on March 8th, 9th, and 10th. So you can find that information on arelationshipministry.com. Ooh, okay, great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Nobody else? All right. So uh, thank you all for joining us tonight. It's been a pleasure. We had a few people that didn't speak tonight, but that's okay. Hopefully you guys will next week. This month I'm going to be on every Wednesday. Next month, starting next month, I'm going to be on every other Wednesday. My schedule with school and some of my projects that I'm doing, I have to just really kind of streamline and be a little more focused. So I'll still be on here with y'all every other Wednesday instead of every Wednesday because sometimes that could be a little heavy. Um, I I do have my podcast. I haven't been doing it in over a year. So I'm going to allocate some time also for – ministry work and um and other things so i'm really excited about what god's doing thank y'all for joining us you all have a great night and i will see you all next wednesday Good thank night. you Good night. Good night. Good night.